when many people sign up to become a Christian, many don't truly understand what they are signing up for. Oftentimes we sweet talk people into following God. We try and make it easy. The road is paved. It's an easy road. We, we make the service attractive. We have the nice music, the worship music. We have the lights and the smoke machines. And we have a church or an environment that is what we call seeker friendly. And we try and make it as easy as possible for someone to just say yes, for someone to just pray that prayer so they can get that ticket into heaven. But when we look at the life of Yeshua, Jesus Christ, when he walked upon this earth and he asked people to follow him, he didn't do it that way. In fact, he he was a bad marketer of joining this kingdom of God. And what I really mean by that is he didn't make it the most attractive thing ever. He made it hard. He told the rich man, are you sure you want to follow me? Well, go sell everything you have. Then you can. You know, but then there were others who heard. And even despite these conditions that were set forth by Yeshua, they leaped for the opportunity. Like Peter, he leaped out of his boat to go and follow the Messiah of Israel. You see, brothers and sisters, the reason that Yeshua often made it so difficult and he he threw out these statements. He he, he said, if you want to follow me, you need to eat of me, you need to drink of me. Then you can follow me. And and then the people, they didn't understand this because they had a lack of knowledge, because they couldn't understand it. Just because of that, they they went the other way and they said, this teaching is too difficult for us because it clashes with what we've believed all along. He made it hard. But see, this is why God doesn't just want people in his kingdom. He wants warriors. He wants people who will actually give up everything, their whole life, give up their desires, give up anything, their aspirations to sign up and enlist to become part of his army. You see, when you enlist in an army, it's not a light thing. It's not something you just do like any other job on the side. It means that you say, I will follow this and I will give my life for this army, for this kingdom that I'm in the army of. And I will do whatever I am laying my life down. I will lay my life down for what we would do our countries, right? That's how someone who's in the army thinks about this. It's not just any job. It's a whole nother level. And see, that's who God is coming for. He's coming for those who won't just see his kingdom as just another job or just another hobby or just another thing we do on a Sunday morning. No, that is not at all the kingdom of God. And when Yeshua came and he proclaimed this kingdom, if someone if he was to look at today about how so many people think that is what it means to be a Christian is to go to a church on a Sunday is to read your Bible now and then. No, it's so much more. It has to be an inward transformation of your heart where you actually say and live a life that proclaims to everyone around you that I have given my life to this kingdom and I will do whatever my God desires of me to walk in the likeness of him in the likeness of my general, if you will. Right, sisters, God calls us to be spiritual warriors for his kingdom, not just a citizen, not just a uh, a, the average Joe, if you will. He calls each and every one of us to be bold, to not be cowards and to be a warrior. But see, the beautiful thing about the army that we're in is that it's completely different from any army that this world has ever known. Because see, in this kingdom, this kingdom where spiritual warriors of in a normal battle in a normal war, you will be the one who's putting your life on the line. You will be the one that needs to pull the trigger. You're the one who needs to do everything. But in our battles, God fights for us. We only need to show up and to have faith. 
Just like with Jericho, when Israel faced the walls of Jericho, they showed up and God told them, if you want to win, how do you do that? You walk around that city seven times and then something supernatural will occur. The walls will break down. So let me ask you, was it Israel's um, walking around the walls of Jericho that made the walls tumble down? Was it the fact that they screamed and shouted and blew trumpets at the very end that made the walls break down? No, of course not. Those were mere acts of obedience and a demonstration of their faith in what God is going to do. And God was the one that broke the walls down. We merely show up. We merely exercise the faith. We merely take our stick and push it into that ocean for it to split. But God makes the waters part. You see, brothers and sisters, that is the beauty of this kingdom is our God covers us. And we see in Numbers 8 how God comes and he starts teaching us about being a warrior to Israel. He, he shows them how he fights for them and also their responsibility in this end times war that we have find, found ourselves in. In Numbers 9 verse 18, we read the following. At the mouth of Yahweh, the children of Israel departed. And at the command of Yahweh, they camped. They remained camped as long as the cloud dwelt above the dwelling place. Even when the cloud lingered many days above the dwelling place, the children of Israel guarded the charge of Yahweh and they did not depart. So we have Israel. They've left Egypt. They've gone through the splitting of the sea. They've entered the wilderness. And now there is this cloud that is above them. And this cloud is covering them. And the scriptures say that as the cloud moved, Israel would move and then it would stop when the clouds stopped. And if that cloud stopped for a day and they'd move tomorrow, they'll move tomorrow with it. But if that cloud stopped for a week, they would stop a week and wait a week. And if the cloud stopped a month, they would wait a month. And even if the cloud stopped a year, they need to wait a year. But then when the cloud moves, they move with it. So I want to submit to you that this is a picture for symbolic picture for us on how God is supposed to lead our life. When we are in our wilderness, when we are in that desert, when we don't know where to go, we've got all the issues we face. We stay put until he tells us to move until his cloud starts moving. Until then, we wait. And so, brothers and sisters, you know, it's easy for us to look at it this way and say, well, that seems simple. But and, and it is, it's simple to, to wait a day and wait two days, wait a week and then see that cloud move again. But what if that cloud takes a little longer? What if that cloud takes six months? It sits there for six months. God puts you in a place for six months or a year or six years. Somewhere along the lines. You're going to start asking the question, is that cloud ever going to move? Is God ever going to move? Has he maybe forgotten about me? It's easy to wait a short period, but our patience can truly be tested when we feel like it's time to move on. But God says, stay put or he just doesn't say anything, thereby having the cloud just stay there and having have us stay put there. You see, this is actually an incredible taste on our lives It's about waiting on God's timing and never departing without his cloud departing with us. You see, if you if Israel were to if someone there would, were to decide, I'm not going to wait for this cloud, I'm going to just go my own way. They would die in the wilderness because they will be in that moment, leaving the covering of God. You see that cloud. I want to show you something amazing, brothers and sisters. That word for cloud, the Hebrew root for that word is the following. It is the word anan. It is a primitive root. It means to cover, to cloud over, but also figuratively to act covertly. That is to practice the supernatural. 
You see that word used for the cloud, that cloud that represents God, that same word can actually mean in the figurative form to act covertly or to do the supernatural. And it's even the same word that can oftentimes be used to describe um, magic or something that is out of this world, right? Something that just happens kind of outside of natural circumstances. And now, but this is the thing, brothers and sisters, see how this describes God. God is our covering. God is our protection. But he is also covert in that he is like our secret weapon. And as I mentioned, we are to be warriors for him, but we are not like the warriors of the world's armies. We are warriors who know that our God fights for us. You see, when the world looks at us and they see this cloud dwelling above us, this covering, if you will, they'll see it as just another cloud in the midst of all the other clouds in the sky. From the outside appearance, we may look just like everyone else, but we have a secret weapon. And like that word also means to practice the supernatural. That cloud that we have is a cloud, a God, if you will, that practices the supernatural when things go wrong in our lives, when it seems like there is no way out, when it seems like everything is going wrong. You know what people are going to do around you? They're going to be staring. They're going to be looking. How will this one react? He says he is a believer in this God. He says he is a Christian. He says he is a follower of Jesus, a follower of Yeshua, the Messiah, a follower of the way, whatever you want to call yourself. They're going to look at you and they're going to be looking at how do you react when things go wrong? But see, because you know you have God covering you, you have that cloud over you, you have that secret weapon. Now you know that you have trust and you know that God will come through because then you have this understanding when this horrible situation comes across your path and everyone watches at how you will react. You will look at the situation and tell the situation how big your God is. You see, brothers and sisters, because you'll have comfort and that even if this is a supernatural situation, I have a supernatural God. I have a God that crushes anything that can go wrong in the natural because he is outside of this world and he is a God of miracles. He is a God of the miraculous. He's a God that brings water for from a rock where there is no water. He is a God that opens the blind eyes. He is a God that walked on water, a God that turned water into wine. And so brothers, you see, we are warriors who have a secret weapon that is our father in heaven who does the supernatural for us. And he does. And this is our covering. This is the thing that makes us different from the world and how the world faces their wars. Everyone has wars to fight in this world. Everyone is part of a kingdom army, whether it is the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. But we who are of the kingdom of light understand that our God fights for us and he is our covering and he makes the walls of, like the walls of Jericho. He makes the walls of our enemies break down. We only need to show up and do what he tell, tells us to do, whether that is to stay in a place for a year or for six years, but to only move when he tells us to move. And you know, brothers and sisters, when we look at the world, they will tell you, I don't want to believe in your God because your God is invisible, right? The world loves to have gods that they can see and touch. And that's why we even make idols out of wood and stone while we worship ourselves or why we worship money or why we worship anything in this world. Because we people love to have a tangible God. They don't like the fact that the Christian or the believer of the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob serves a God that we can that is in essence invisible to the naked eye. But see, it is how we live out our faith, how we have this trust in God and how our God comes through with us supernaturally, even though he is visible to the naked eye, he works supernaturally in love. And that is the testimony and to others. That is how others will see 
How can it be that this person, they can't even see their God yet. They trust him in such an incredible way that their hearts don't grow faint when the trials of the world hits them. What is it that they have that I don't have? And then we can tell them we have an invis- a cloud that is different. We have a covering that you, no one else has. And so we now see in the next chapter of Numbers 10, how God now gives Israel instruction on how to give military orders. And more specifically on how to signal the army of God, if you will, by using trumpets. We read the following in Numbers 10, verse five. He says, when you blow a shout, the camps that lie on the east side shall depart. And then he goes and he says in verse seven, and when the assembly is to be assembled, you blow, but you do not shout. And then we also read in verse nine. And when you go into battle in your land against the enemy that distresses you, then you shall shout with the trumpets and you shall be remembered before Yahweh your God and you shall be saved from your enemies. So God describes two forms of blowing the trumpet here. He talks about just blowing it a a normal blow, but also a shout. And he says that if you shout with the trumpet, then that is the signal that Israel and the, the people will depart from congregating. But when you simply blow, they will be assembled. They will just come forth. And then he also says that if there is a war and you blow the trumpet, you need to blow as with a shout and your enemies will scatter from out before you and you will then be safe from your enemies is what God there says. And this is really what we saw, for example, when Israel came and fought, like I mentioned, Jericho, they blew the trumpet and they also had a shout at the end. And when they did that, their enemies, their enemies fell right from right before them. But why is God giving us these instructions and how is it applicable to us today? You see, brothers and sisters, it's interesting. When we look at Yeshua, Jesus, when he comes back, he is coming back and with a similar thing. We hear him coming back at the sound of a trumpet, right? But not only that, we hear him coming back with a shout. We read this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. Because the master himself shall come down from heaven with a shout, with the voice of a chief messenger and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Messiah shall rise first. It's interesting because when we look at the what the Torah teaches about coming with a trumpet and a shout, it is always connected to the scattering of people, whether it is the departure of Israel's people or whether it is the scattering of the our adversaries when we were in war. It is always when there is a shout that there is supposed to be a a chasing away, if you will. And so why is it? It's interesting, brothers and sisters, because, you know, when we think about Yeshua and his coming back, we think of him coming back for his people and he's coming to gather his people. Right. And we actually read this. He says that the dead in Messiah shall rise first and he will then gather his elect from the four corners. Right. And that is with, but it's with a shout. It doesn't make any sense with the rest of the Torah, where the shout only means that there is a scattering, not a gathering. The gathering is simply a trumpet without a shout. God specifically commanded it that way. So why is it different when Yeshua comes back? You see, brothers and sisters, the primary reason Yeshua is coming is not just to gather his people and then go away with us. It is to come and destroy his enemies. You see, brothers and sisters, we are like I mentioned, we're supposed to be warriors. We are supposed to be warriors for the kingdom of God. We're warriors in a war of love. And what I mean by that is we are we are not like the warriors of the world where they fight with guns in battle and they fight with the sword and they die by the sword. 
We are warriors of love where we come with a radical love upon this world, where we love them into the kingdom. When they come with a sword, we come with grace and mercy, forgiveness and love. And that is what makes the swords be put down and people make people repent for they say, how can it be that you come with love when I come with a sword? Why is it that when I hit you on your left cheek, you turn your other cheek? That is the war that we are part of a war of love that we fight. That is our weapon because our God is our secret weapon and he is the God of love. A God that is supernatural and gives us a supernatural love for the things that the world says you ought to hate. The world says he hit you, you hit him back. The world says he he did this, you ought to hate him. You ought to never forgive him for he did this to you. But our God teaches you ought to love radically. You ought to forgive radically. Every circumstance, no matter how bad it is, you forgive and you love. You see, we are here to prepare the way before our master, prepare the way of Yeshua for when he comes back, he is not coming back to start something. He is simply coming in to put the nail in the coffin to bring the end to this war. But see, while this war is being waged by us in love, he's going to come back and he's going to come back as a lion. You see, Yeshua came the first time to start the war of love, if you will, where he loved the world and he even died for it. And then he asks us to walk as he did, to walk in love. But when he comes back the second time, he's not going to come back as baby Jesus. He's going to come back as a lion. He's going to come back with a sword. He's going to come back to destroy and to pour out the wrath of God at the very end upon the world, where all will die who do not fall, follow him, who do not, who, who continue to rebel against the kingdom of light. And so when Yeshua comes back, this is why he's coming back with the blowing of a trumpet, but also of a shout. It's simply it's simply that he is going to come back and he is going to now join us in this fight, but he is going to put the final blow. It is going to be primarily not a thing of just gathering his people, but actually bringing a blow to his enemies and destroying his enemies. The gathering of us to him is simply the calling of us. So we can join him in the final battle and see, brothers and sisters, the reality is that things are only going to get worse today when a lot of the Western world, there's not a lot of persecution. Things are pretty easy going for us. However, things will get much harder before things get much better. And God is calling people who are not cowards, but who are going to be warriors, like I mentioned. And we actually see that God writes for us in his law and his, his Torah instructions on how to be a good warrior. He says that you are to when they, when he calls up the lions, he calls up the people who are going to fight in the battle. He is going to call them up. And those who are cowards, those who are afraid, those who will demotivate the others in the army next to them, they are not to proceed into war, but they are to return home instead. You see, brothers and sisters, this is what God is calling. He is saying it's gather or scatter, come forward or go home. You can't. He's not going to allow people in who aren't absolutely sold out, who aren't absolutely sure that they can partake in a fight for his kingdom. Because brothers and sisters, things are going to get so hard that God is going to separate those who are warriors from those who are simply there along for the ride. Because if those who are simply along for the ride, if you will, those who are just there, but they're not truly sold out for God. They come and they try and partake in a fight and in a battle and they try and and be uh, part of this thing. They're going to de- cause them demotivation. They're going to cause others to others, the hearts of others to grow faint because of their um, unbelief in God. And so see, brothers, that's why it's so important for us to grow in faith and make sure that we grow in boldness. We're not cowards, because if you enter the future as a coward, this coming war that God is, is bringing, the enemy is bringing a war the, in the world. There is a war coming. You can see it. There is a storm coming. Things are going to get worse. People are um, the world is growing more um, growing in hatred towards believers. The world is growing in all that. And we're going to enter a tribulation time where things are going to get hard. 
And God is not going to allow you to continue if you're going to cause unbelief and demotivation amongst your brethren. He is looking for those who will step forward in boldness, looking for those who will say, I am not a coward. I don't need to go home. Lord, I am here to fight for you. And brothers and sisters, if you want to be that person, now is the time to start the war on love, the war of love in your life, if you will. The war on hatred, the war on bondage. That means that you go out and you set the captive free. You go and you do what your Messiah did. That means you go lay your hands on the sick and you see them recover. That means you see that drug addict and you give him a hug and you say, Lord, I thank you, God. We command this evil spirit of addiction to leave. That means you go forth and you go and proclaim a liberty to those who are in captive captivity. You see, brothers and sisters, that is how we prepare for this thing. That is how we train for this thing. We are now in a training period compared to what is coming. And we are all to enter it. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but of power and of love and of self-control. You see, brothers and sisters, we are not to be cowards. We are to have spirits of power, understanding the authority and the power that God has given us through his son, Yeshua, and the Holy Spirit that was poured out on us, where we can set people free by his power. The spirit of love, where we have an uncompromising love like we have talked about. And a spirit of self-control, where we will not fall into sin. We will not fall. We will have self-control over our bodies and we will walk in holiness. Now, Israel, when they were, when they were in the wilderness, they lacked all of these things. They did not have a spirit of power, love and self-control. Instead, they had a spirit of cowardice and instead a spirit of unbelief. We see them continuously in the wilderness complaining. Like, for example, here in Numbers 11, verse one, we see. And it came to be when the people were as complainers, it was evil in the ears of Yahweh. And Yahweh heard it and his displeasure burned and the fire of Yahweh burned among them and consumed those in the outskirts of the camp. To see, brothers and sisters, simply the act of complaining, it shows God what our heart truly is. If we are continuously complaining to God like Israel did, oh God, why did you bring us out into this place, this wilderness season, and now you, you just brought us here to die? You just brought us here to, to lose out on all the, all the nice things we had in Egypt? Now we're just here and we don't even, we have all, all the thing, the only thing we have is this manna. And all this complaining is they're basically exposing their hearts, our hearts of unbelief, hearts that that don't aren't. They're not true warriors. They're cowards. They're the ones who should have stayed behind in Egypt. Yet they lied and they came forward anyway. They came forward and they said, you know, God, we're going to trust you to save us. God, we trust in you. We're going to be bold for you. But then when they actually entered through the Red Sea, they came into the wilderness. They weren't bold. Instead, their true hearts of cowardice were exposed and they didn't trust God. But we need to ask the question, why, where is the, oftentimes, where do these hearts of cowardice come from? How is it that oftentimes these people are, were so full of, of mistrust in God? I want to submit to you that part of it is simply because of their sin, because they weren't and because they weren't full of the Holy Spirit. Look at what they say in, in Numbers 11, verse five, Israel says, we remember the fish which we ate without cost in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic. But now our being is dried up. There is naught to look at, but this manna. Brothers and sisters, right here, I'd like to show you a big tactic of Satan. Satan tries after we've received deliverance from God, after we've come into his um, his word, after we start following it, after we are well, there, Satan comes and he tries to make us look back in that rear view mirror at our old life and all the nice things we had back there, all the nice sins we loved so much, 
all the nice things of the world. Or maybe you were rich back then. Maybe you were, you know, things just went so well. And now things are seem to actually go worse after you follow God. How does that even work? You see, because oftentimes the enemy loves to make things go well for us. If he, if as long as we're in his kingdom. So now what happens is we have an option. We have this other past presented back to us and we can take it back or we can continue looking upon the father and trusting upon him. And this is what Israel was falling for. They were looking at all the things they had in Egypt, the melons, the leeks, the onions, oh, the garlic. It's so it was so good. And now we have nothing but this manna is what they said, right? Isn't that what we often say, even through our own actions? Oh, God, look at what about all this and these nice things we had in our past. But now what do we have? We only have this manna, this Yeshua, this Jesus to look at. You see, the manna, the true manna is Yeshua. That's who he, he is. He is the manna from heaven. He says, whoever eats of me will never go hungry or thirsty again. In other words, if we're partaking in other things and not in him, the one who satisfies us completely, if we continue partaking in our old sins, our old life, old things, and we try and keep that and we want him, but we want that too. Brothers and sisters, it's like saying, oh, no, this manna is not enough. He is not enough. I have I don't want to just look upon him. And you see, brothers and sisters, we look upon the one we have pierced. Back then, when they had the manna and all that, they didn't even have the full revelation we have today. Today, we understand the manna that we get is to look upon the one we have pierced ourselves with our own sins. Our sins was the thing that put Yeshua on the cross. The very thing he came to die for. And so we actually have a greater responsibility than Israel ever had back then, because we can now see the love of God evident in Yeshua, evident in what he did for us. And we can partake in him and be satisfied partake in him and be filled. You see, brothers and sisters, the reality is if you eat of him, you don't need anything else. If you eat of the true manna, you don't need the onions and the melons and the leeks and all the things that you had in your old life. He is enough. And we need to be careful to be to not to be like Israel, because if we say to, if we look back at our old sins, we look back at our old life and we have a desire even just in our heart for those things. What we are saying is the same thing Israel is saying to God. We're saying, God, we have given up the world. But now look, the only thing we have is to look upon the one whom we have pierced. To look upon Yeshua. And that is not enough for us, God. We want our sins back. See, brothers sisters, I want to submit to you, if you still desire your old sins, maybe you haven't looked upon him enough. Maybe you haven't thought enough about what he has done for you. Maybe you haven't seen how he has bled for you. See, brothers sisters, we can't say we love him and we want to follow him, yet continue in our old sins. We need to repent of our sins. And sometimes we also may look upon him, but we never eat of him. You see, it's not enough to just look upon what he did to intellectually identify what he has done for us to intellectually understand it. But you need to eat of him. That means that he is what you live on. You don't live on the things of this world to satisfy your soul anymore. It means that you throw all that aside and you eat of him. You partake in him. You, you eat of his word, you take it in, you desire it and you are filled by it. And when you truly do that, you won't have any space in your stomach 
to stomach anything else. You won't have space to stomach that pornography anymore. You won't have space to stomach your lying and stealing and all your old sins anymore. Because when you are filled with him, it's like being so filled with good food that you don't have space for any dessert that's bad for you. God is, Yeshua is, the true bread that truly fills. And so we need to go into him and say, Father, you need to fill me with you. You need, I need only to eat of you. And a good way to do this is even to just fast. Stop eating your food that you eat on a normal day-to-day basis for a little season. And simply eat of his word, the living word. And then you will show you will show the father and you will train yourself to only need him to be satisfied. It will put away your flesh, your empty desires, your your desire to sin, etc. Because you're disciplining your flesh by fasting and telling your flesh, yes, you desire to eat food right now, but I will not give you food to eat today because my master is enough. Yeshua is enough. He is enough bread for me to satisfy me this day. And so, brothers and sisters, I encourage you that if you don't have a fasting schedule going, it is important and it is essential in the life of every believer to have a fasting, a time of fasting on a, on a regular basis, if you are able to do so. But after all Israel's complaining and after them saying, you know, oh, we want the melons and the leeks what we had in Egypt. God comes and he says, OK, that is fine. I am going to give you over to what you desire in your heart. And he said the following numbers 11 verse 19. You are going to eat not one day, nor two, nor five, nor 10 days, nor 20 days. But for a whole month, a whole new moon of days until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes an abomination to you because you have rejected Yahweh who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come up out of Egypt? If we are like Israel and we despise the fact that God has given us deliverance from Egypt and because we are desiring to return to it. Even just in our hearts, even if it's not just an action, but even if in our hearts we're desiring it, it's just as evil. Because with the heart is wicked of the mouth and the thoughts and the works flow over from. Yeshua says everything starts in the heart. And that's the problem. If we desire even in our hearts or past, it is just as bad. And God then comes and he can give us over to that desire, which is Really, he's actually just saying, I'm giving it over to you. I'm going to give you the opportunity. Fine. You want that? I'll give you the opportunity to return. You can do it. It's your choice. You have free will. I've gifted you a gift of free will because to choose and to have the gift of being of choice is love. Because God is love, he gives us the choice to choose the world or him, the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. And what happened next is God actually did bring forth food for Israel. And then they had this choice. Do we indulge or do we abstain? Do we indulge in the sins of our past, the things that we say, oh, God, Yeshua's sacrifice isn't enough. We need more sins. We need more of these things to satisfy us. We need alcohol. We need drugs. We need whatever. Or do we say, no, we will not. Yeshua is enough. God presents us the opportunity and Israel chose to indulge themselves in the food that was there. And because of that, many of them died for there was a plague that then struck them. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you that one of the main reasons that Israel was like this, the main one of the main reasons they did continuously do this, even throughout the entire Exodus account, is because they did. They were not immersed in the Holy Spirit. And I don't, I'm not saying the, the spirit of God was not there leading them. Like I mentioned, he was in the cloud. He was there. But the individuals of Israel were not immersed in the Holy Spirit yet. For we know that that immersion only came after Yeshua, that full immersion where every individual can have that immersion. And so this is why Moses himself, he, even though he was 
he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He himself came and he said, came to God. He said, God, I cannot do this alone. I cannot carry this burden alone. And God says very well, yes, you're right. You can't. And God says, I am going to raise up elders with you and I am going to put the same spirit that is on you, Moses, on them. And God, by this, God is now actually showing us one of the one of the first times that it is he is going to need a body of Christ, if you will. He is going to need a body of believers, each having a role, each having strengths and each filling each other up. Like the hand cannot say to the other hand, I don't need you. The hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. We all need each other. One man cannot carry everything alone. And Moses certainly could not. Even with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, Moses could not carry it alone. And then in verse 25, he says, And it came to be when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but did not continue. And so now we see the same thing that happened in the book of Acts with the Holy Spirit has poured out the speaker tongues. I prophesied it happens right here in the Torah and the Old Testament. They the spirit comes upon the elders and they're prophesying. And it's interesting because you see now we see one difference that that's there between the Torah and the pouring of the spirit there. And in the New Testament, there is a substantial difference and that God only gave his Holy Spirit to some, to an elect few, some that he had to use prophets like Elijah, um, you know, prophets like John the Baptist. We see with Moses, we see with these elders, we see his spirit poured out on some. But in the new covenant and with Yeshua and with him being raised to descend his Holy Spirit, that was necessary for the Holy Spirit to be able to fill everyone, everyone who comes and who is baptized into him, resurrected with him, who, parta- who partakes with him in death and burial and resurrection. All of them, all of us can now be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And so just unlike Israel, who stumbled in the dark, they were because they were just led by their flesh. They didn't they weren't each one as individuals immersed in the Holy Spirit. They couldn't follow and walk like Yeshua. They couldn't do it. But today we can. Today, he has given us everything we need. He's given us the truth on Mount Sinai. He's given us the spirit on Mount Zion. And now we have everything we need to walk like he did. We have no more excuse. You see, brothers and sisters, I actually believe that there will be mercy, more mercy on Israel who were in the wilderness, even though they built the golden calf, even though they did some crazy stuff. They, God will show more mercy to them because they did not have everything that we have today. We have a greater level of accountability and responsibility with God, what God has given us. He has given us an outpouring of his spirit. And we ought to walk and to as one who is led by his spirit to as one who can truly. We have the revelation of Yeshua as one who can truly partake in the fullness of him. Yeshua said, your he spoke to the Pharisees and to the, to the people. And he said, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. But whoever eats of me will never go hungry or thirsty again. I am the true manna. Not like the manna that your fathers ate in the wilderness and died. You see, brothers and sisters, he is saying they had manna, but they only had a something that was symbolic and a picture of me, of Yeshua. And so he's saying they didn't have the full picture that you guys have. If you have it, if you eat of me, you will truly live forever. You will be able to overcome death. And be raised with me. That's why he's saying you will be able to eat of me and grow distaste for your sins. Just continue looking to me, eating of me, partaking of me and your sins will be no more. And it's crazy because this was the very thing that Moses wished for. Moses wanted the Holy Spirit to not just be given to him. He was so humble that he did not abuse his power or abuse with the giftings that God has given him. But he desired actually all people to have this 
just like we have today. What happened today was the very thing Moses desired. And let me show you. I mean, we see this here in Numbers 11, verse 28, when Jehoshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant from his youth, they he answered and said, Moses, my master, forbid them. He said, Master Moses, forbid these men from prophesying. Forbid them from doing these things because why? Moses' assistant was afraid that people will now look to others as well. And not only to Moses. He was afraid that this will take away the authority, some authority from Moses. But look at what Moses says. Are you jealous for my sake? Oh, that all the people of Yahweh were prophets, that Yahweh would put his spirit upon them. Moses is saying, don't don't forbid anyone from prophesying. Don't forbid them from going forth and doing the work of God. Don't forbid them from let them, don't forbid the Holy Spirit from moving. For I wish that all would be filled with the spirit of God. I wish it for everyone. And truly, truly, it has happened today. Brothers and sisters, we are never to be like Jehoshua who tried to forbid prophecy, forbid the Holy Spirit from moving. We'd still see that today. We see people saying, don't speak in tongues. We see people saying, don't prophesy. And of course, with that, there are real ways to do this. There are true ways. There is the correct manner of prophesying. There's a correct manner of speaking in tongues. There's a correct manner of of exercising every spiritual gift as Paul describes in his in his letters. But we are to never forbid someone from walking out spiritual giftings or moving by the spirit because of our bad intentions, because we desire to have control, because we desire to have power. You see, this is like the Pharisees. They did not want Yeshua to heal anyone. They did not want him to do anything good. Not on the Sabbath, not on any day. They did not desire him to do say anything prophetic because that meant that the power would be taken away from them. That meant that the Holy Spirit was showing to the people, look at Yeshua. He is the Messiah. He is one that carries authority and the people will be looking to him instead of to them. That's why the Pharisees had so much issues with him because they desired authority. In the same way, we have to be careful so as to not when we if, if we have been given leadership or some kind of authority, when someone who we consider even lesser than us comes, but there's a move of the spirit on them, even if they're young, even if they're unqualified. But if there's a move of the spirit on them, who are we to stop it? Who are we to stand in the way and forbid prophecy? Who are we to come? You see, brothers, sisters, God is going to execute the harsh judgment on those who actually go and with a strong hand forbid the spirit of God from moving. And this is what God is doing. He is pouring out his spirit in this day, in this age. And whoever forbids it will be judged because they will be forbidding. They will be coming up against the very Holy Spirit of God. And God forbid they blaspheme the Holy Spirit by saying that it is not of God, but of a demon. Brothers and sisters, we need to be careful. We need to be not like Joshua who tried to forbid prophecy because of his own. He, his heart was no Moses. It's going to take away authority from you. Moses, the true prophet, the one filled with the Holy Spirit said, No, I wish all to be filled with the Spirit. And brothers and sisters, I say the same thing today that Moses said. I wish all to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, God, come and bring it. Oh, God, come and fill your people with your Holy Spirit. Let them prophesy. Let them speak in tongues. Let it all happen again. You see, brothers and sisters, what happened when Moses simply desired 3,000 years ago has today happened. And today we can come and say, ask the Father, Lord, Baptize me, immerse me in your Holy Spirit. Give me the gift of prophecy. Give me the gift of tongues. Give me the gift of healings. Give me the gifts, all the gifts you've put on my heart. I desire it. And he will give. What father is he? He is not like a father who does not give good gifts. He is a father who gives to his children for what they ask when they ask with good intentions because they're filled with his spirit. And so, brothers and sisters, I ask of you, come to him and ask him. Many have asked me, Petey, how do I receive the Holy Spirit? Either by the laying of hands 
of someone else, like Paul said, and like the apostles traveled the world back then and they laid their hands on people and they were immersed. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. But if there is no way for that to happen, there is also you crying out to the father and by his grace and mercy, he can do the same for you that he did for me. I had no one to lay hands on me personally, but I cried out to God and he immersed me in my room behind closed doors. And so I pray, Lord, that you would come, Holy Spirit, that you would come at the sound of my voice. Everyone who hears. Lord, come, Holy Spirit, come and baptize, come and immerse, come and fill with power. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for a move of your spirit upon everyone who watches this. I thank you, Lord, for people who who are listening, Lord, to receive your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, for a baptism, a filling. Lord, let them know that you are in the room. Let them know, Lord, that you touch. God, I thank you, God, that they would know when your power comes upon them. In the name of Yeshua. Hey, brothers and sisters, I hope that this teaching is blessed and encouraged you. Step out in boldness. Be a warrior for him. Do not be a coward. It is when the Holy Spirit comes upon us that we can walk in a demonstration of the Spirit and power to be as a warrior for his kingdom. To be as Yeshua. To walk in authority. To understand who we are, sons of the living God. And to be walking authority over disease, sickness, addictions, sins, even on the sins of others, when we can lay our hands on them, see them recover emotionally, see them recover from trauma, from addiction, physical, emotional, no matter what it is, and see fear leave, see sadness, depression, all these things leave when we lay hands because we know who lives in us. Brothers and sisters, we need to be bold warriors for him. For then, we will see his kingdom come and then we will see our king come one day and he will come with a shout and he will bring the last blow to the kingdom of darkness and we will all be victory victorious in our king. I hope that this teaching has blessed you. May God bless you, keep you, shine his face upon you, lift up his countenance upon you, give you strength, shalom, blessing. And I'll see you guys in the next video. Shalom.